Hello and welcome. My name is uh, Adam Curtis and I'm the curate uh, here at Christchurch. And I can't help um, but wonder, after I've spending many years at different churches um, and, and singing, many, uh, singing that, that kid's song many times, I can't help but wonder when, when Tom Parsons stands up to lead the actions if he's just making them up on the spot. <laughs> but <laughs> we're making them up gloriously. Um, okay. Please do keep uh, Luke 22 open in front of you. And before we delve deep, uh, a question. Before we delve deep, a question. What makes you sweat? What makes you sweat? Um, I was, I've been debating all morning if I should share this story or not. But, but here we go. <laughs> what makes you sweat? I remember after university, I, um, my, my, first, my first job after university, I sort of won by a student election. And then my second job after university was sort of my first proper time I had to go for an, for an interview. I had to travel all the way from Cardiff to, to Oxford for the day. Um, and they, they told me you have to come uh, dress smart casual. And, uh, and smart casual, I was like, well, I'm, I'm, uh, I know what that means. Chinos and a shirt. <laughs> so I put on my chinos and I put on my shirt and I headed off to this uh, to this, uh, this interview, and it had been a bit cold in the morning, so I just grabbed sort of a mouldy old jumper as well. Uh, I got to, the, got to the interview in, in Oxford, and it had like three parts. In the first part, there were four of us all going for this same job, sat around the table, and we had to hear, hear this presentation uh, about the charity, which I was applying to work for. And I was just sitting there, trying to look engaged, trying to like listen out for key words which you should use in, in the interview, as I had been informed to do. Um, and as, as I was listening and just watching these other people who I was going to be going up against in this job uh, and listening to this person, suddenly I just looked down at myself and I was like, I was like, I was like, the nerves of, of having this interview has started to mean that sweat is just pouring out everywhere. <laughs> and this shirt of mine, which is like neat and ironed and crisp, is starting just to get very, very damp. <laughs> and I was like, I was like, I'm now sat surrounded by all these, all, these, all these competition of mine, and they all look very happy with themselves. And I know why. Because <laughs> they're looking at this sweaty mess of a man. And I'm like, okay, what am I going to do? We have a break between the presentation and the, and the interview pa panel with uh, three people. And so I just run into the bathroom, get some like paper towels, start trying, trying to wipe myself down. <laughs> like go to, I'm like, okay, this isn't working. So I find a, I find a, 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 um, a hand dryer, take my shirt to the hand dryer and try and dry it off. Thus making myself warmer, thus making the sweat situation worse. And so I resort to taking my old moldy jumper, which is definitely not ironed, and just like shoving it over my head <laughs> to try and cover up my shame. That day taught me that nerves make me sweat. <laughs> when I'm nervous about something, I sweat. What makes you sweat? What makes you sweat? And leading into our passage today, what makes Jesus sweat? Because we, 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 we see a huge amount of sweat from the Lord here. Verse 44. And being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. What makes you sweat? What makes Jesus sweat? Let's pray. Oh, dearest God, King of kings and Lord of lords, we pray that may you teach us this day that we do not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. 
And however we come to church this day to hear your word, we pray may your Holy Spirit speak powerfully to us and draw us to Christ in his glorious name. Amen. Well, over the last few weeks, we've been uh, preparing ourselves for, for Easter. We, uh, we saw a few weeks back, we had uh, the institution of Holy Communion with the Last Supper, and we saw that the bread is Jesus' body and the blood uh, is his wine, and this is the new covenant. And if we stand under that blood, then we are, we are safe. We then saw uh, Tom leading us through yesterday, Jesus' sort of radical sort of teaching of taking his very example in life of what, of what service is, of what, of what leadership is, of what greatness is. We saw um, uh, Jesus informing Simon Peter that he knew all about the betrayal that he was about to uh, commit. We saw Jesus inform his disciples that they needed to be armed. And why did they need to be armed? Because Jesus needed to be numbered among their transgressors. And now, we've, uh, as we continue to prepare ourselves for Easter, we land in, in the garden, the garden, in the Mount of Olives. And we're here that it is Jesus' custom to go to this garden, thus implying that he's been there many times before. Thus implying this, this act which we see him doing here, of separating himself from his disciples and praying, is probably something he's done many times before. And he leaves his disciples, and he leaves them praying, and he goes to, to pray by himself. And he makes... What, 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 what appears a most remarkable claim and makes a most remarkable prayer. Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. What is that cup? What is, that is quite a strange sort of prayer to, to, for, for Jesus to ask. What is this cup? And as I was pondering on that, on that question, well, we see cup is already mentioned here in this chapter, in, uh, in verse 20, in the institution of Holy Communion. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the, is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. So we've got this, this idea that the, the cup is linking to uh, uh, the wine, which is linking to Jesus' blood, which is linking to the new covenant, which is linking to Jesus' death. So this prayer, take this cup away from me, is a prayer of, of the Lord Jesus asking his father, uh, <laughs> and asking, asking his father to take away this, this death of the cross in front of him, take away this, this need for death. Um, but but as, as we hear about this, and we've seen from Luke, Jesus pointing on and on to the fact that the Son of Man has come to, to serve and come to die and come to be risen from the dead, and we're like, and we know what the cross achieves, the very salvation of everyone who believes in Jesus Christ. And it makes us ask the question, well, why would Jesus ask for, for this death to be removed, for this cup to be removed? It, what, what's that saying about Jesus' Nature, is he, is, he, is he a bit cowardly? Is, does, he, does he go towards the cross like just filled with just human sort of like fear? Is he a bit cowardly? And everything we know about Jesus Christ, his, 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 his willingness to stand up to the religious authorities, his willingness to, to, to stand up for the poor and for the oppressed, his willingness to be brave, to be courageous, tells us again and again throughout the Gospels that Jesus is anything but cowardly. And if we sort of had this image that Jesus was a bit cowardly, well, that would just, just seem incredibly contradictory when we know of so many other martyrs who faced death very willingly. Very famously, Socrates was offered a cup. The Greek authorities wanted to uh, uh, sentence Socrates to death, um, the great uh, Greek philosopher, and, uh, and he was given a cup full of poison to drink. And he drank 
uh, his cup uh, very solemnly and, 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 and willingly. It wasn't, it wasn't forced down his throat. And the people around him, the story goes, Plato records for us, uh, the people around him were, were, they cried as he was drinking his, this cup, this poison, and he rebuked them. <laughs> and he said, be brave. So we say, is Socrates braver than Jesus? Socrates braver than Jesus? Is it just the fear of death that is making Jesus ask this prayer, Father, remove this cup from me? But actually, as we start to think about a bit deeper in a, and take a, in, into view all of Scripture, well, actually, the Old Testament talks a lot about um, a cup. You can receive from the Lord a cup of blessing, and that comes up many, many times, but you also can receive from the Lord a cup of, of wrath, a cup of the Lord's wrath. And, and I had sort of known that this was one of the, the, the references to this cup, and, and so I then started uh, the classic Bible Gateway, looking up how many times a, uh, this cup comes up, and I was it, again and again and again and again and again. This cup of the Lord's wrath comes up throughout the Old Testament. And we'll just go to just one of these references. Let's turn to, to Jeremiah, chapter 25. Jeremiah, chapter 25. We're going to start by looking at verse 15, found on page 861. So Jeremiah, chapter 25, found on page 861. Here we find out a little bit about the, this cup of the Lord's wrath. Jeremiah, cha Jeremiah chapter 25, verses 15. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, said to me. Take from my hand this cup filled with the wine of my wrath and make all the nations to whom I send you drink it. When they drink it, they will stagger and go mad because of the sword I will send among them. We could keep on reading and find out more, but let's just quickly go to verse 27. Verse 27. At that time, they will see the Son of Man coming in the cloud. Oh, sorry, I'm really reading the wrong verse 27. <laughs> sorry, chapter 25 of Jeremiah, verse 27. Then tell them, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says. Drink, get up get drunk and vomit and fall to rise no more because of the sword I will send among you. The image that we'll have if we were to follow all the images, uh, all the references to this cup of God's wrath, is the cup of God's wrath is a sort of cup of, of drunken ruin, of drunken ruin. This is a wine that will ruin you. It will make you go mad and a madness full of, filled with sorrow and regret. You will lose control of your, of your body and you will fall again and again, unable to rise, never to rise again. You will stagger and you will vomit. That is the, the cup of God's wrath in every reference. Now, we probably all respond um, uh, differently to times uh, when we've seen drunkenness. There might be times in life where we've seen maybe a, a, a friend get very merry and they just act like a bit of an idiot and it's just, quite, it's just quite funny to watch them being a bit of a fool. But then sometimes there's that time with that friends and you're at that wedding and they've gone from acting like a bit of an idiot to being highly embarrassed, embarrassing and you're like, oh my word, 
shush. Or sometimes we respond to drunkenness. We might be in a very busy bar or late at night, just walking by ourselves, and, and actually you're in a very busy bar, and someone's very drunk in front of you, and they're getting quite angry, and it's just like, ah, oh, where's this going to go? And actually we can respond with a bit of, bit of fear. But then sometimes we respond to, 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 to someone's drunkenness, and we can see someone who, who everything was just going so well in life, and then something just came in and just slammed them down, and they just really brought them down, and drink seemed like their only friend, and they just drunk and drunk and drunk, and actually that ruined their relationship, and it caused problems with their kids, and suddenly they, they weren't able to, to work anymore, and actually that drunkenness has sort of ruined their whole lives, and we just see that in people's lives, and we're just filled with, with, with pity uh, towards them. We'll take that, that, that image of that individual who you were just filled with pity uh, towards because of drunkenness, and, and take that image and think of that person and, and, and this idea of drinking the cup of God's wrath. But the cup of God's wrath is worse than that image. Far, far worse. Because a pitiful, a pitiful drunk can be rehabilitated. But the one who drinks of the cup of God's wrath will fall and will never rise again. This is a deep and it is a dark image. Thus, when we think about what the cup represents, yes, it represents death, but it also represents the cup of God's wrath. Well, no wonder, no wonder Jesus would pray and ask for this to be removed. He is no coward. He is just aware of what he is about to endure. He's aware about what he is about to endure. And as we think about the cup of God's wrath, well, maybe a question just pops into our mind. Is it ever right for God to be that angry? Is it ever right for God to be that angry? Surely God is good. Surely God is loving. But, but God would not be good if he wasn't just. And God's wrath, it isn't just a random swiping of the hand. It isn't just a random act of, of violence. It is his, his, his settled anger against that which is evil. God's wrath is his settled anger against that which is evil. And a corrupt state, which has a corrupt justice system, we don't consider that to be good. We consider that to be evil and fallen. Our God is not evil and our God is not fallen. Thus, he has a justice system which works and is upheld because he has a settled anger against that which is evil. It is right to be angry. It is right to be angry at evil. And here we have Jesus fully aware of what the cross is, fully aware that it is him taking the cup of God's wrath. But as aware as he is, he still settles and he rests in God's sovereignty. Verse uh, 42 of Luke 22. Verse 42. Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me, yet not my will, but yours be done. Not my will, but yours be done. Jesus knows his father, and Jesus loves his father, and Jesus has spent eternity with his father, and Jesus trusts his father. And because he trusts him, and because he knows him, and because he loves him, he will take this cup of God's wrath. He chooses suffering, and he will choose pain, and he will choose ruin, because he knows that his father is good, and this is how his father's good plans will be fulfilled. 
And in that moment where Jesus prays, take this cup away, but not my will, but yours be done. In that moment, then we see a great act of sort of intimacy, and it's just a single verse. Just a single verse, but, but it's incredibly intimate. Verse 43, an angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. As Jesus rests in his father's sovereignty and his father's will and his father's goodness, his father sends an angel to strengthen him. And, and what on earth is that strengthening? Wouldn't, you lo- wouldn't we love to know? What words did the angel say to Jesus? Or maybe it was just an embrace. I have no idea. But the father sent an angel to strengthen Jesus, to give him resolve, to give him encouragement, to enable him to build those foundations so that he can fulfill his father's will and take this cup of his father's wrath. And as Jesus is is strengthened, well, then he goes like a lamb to be slaughtered. He discovers his disciples sleeping rather than praying. He is met by Judas who who kisses him on the cheek, that sign of great intimacy and love, and yet it was a sign of great betrayal. His disciples fight, but Jesus says, no, no more, I will go. He's, He's overpowered and arrested by a mighty mob in the very middle of the night and treated like a criminal. This is the very hour of darkness, and Jesus willingly walks into it. Why do we need to hear this story? Why do we need to hear of Jesus' agony? And as I've been reflecting on this, and my reflections are that there's so much we could talk about from this passage, so much we could say, but I wonder if we hear this today, if we need this today, if the Lord's given us this, this truth today about hearing Christ's agony, because God wants us to know what it cost his son. God wants us to know what the cross cost his son. Jesus asked for this cup to be removed because the cost is great. Jesus sweated blood because the cost was going to be great. The very just idea of the cross is agony because the cost is great. And God wants us to know this, to comprehend this. The cost is great, but Jesus is willing to pay it. Jesus is willing to pay it. You know the value of something by by how much someone has paid for it and then how they treat it. I've uh, I've owned a car now since uh, since September, and maybe this is slightly embarrassing, but I've 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 washed it once. <laughs> I've given it a good wash once. But the number of times, and maybe you're one of these people, and I. Um, respect you a lot for your, ad, uh, for your commitment. But the number of times I've walked up Christchurch uh, Road and, uh, and, and, and I've seen some very impressive cars in people's driveways and, and individuals like with their, like, their polish kit shining it up. And I'm not surprised that they buff their cars and they shine it up because of the, the, the sheer value difference between my cheap little car and this high value car. The, the amount we're willing to spend on something and then how we, how we treat it reveals what we think about it, reveals the value that we hold, we think that it has. The cost of the cross is great, but Jesus is willing to pay it because of the value of those who are won by it. 
Let me say that ridiculously long sentence again. The cost of the cross is great because Jesus is willing to pay it because of the value, because of the value of those who are one, who are forgiven, who are cleansed by it. Jesus is willing to sweat blood for you. Jesus is willing to be in agony for you. Jesus is willing to take the cup of God's wrath in our place for you. Jesus is willing to pay the cost of the cross for you. Love, love is not a a sexual act, a one-night fling. No matter what our society may say, love is a pure and perfect prince who has left his throne of grace and mercy and glory and has descended to become one of us so that he could save his criminal of a bride. Love is a prince who saves his criminal of a bride who is stuck in the very pit of sin and who love lifts us up and raises us to the very throne room of heaven so that all who trust in the Lord Jesus Christ won't receive that cup of his wrath, but will have a place at God's table and a room in God's house. The cost of the cross is great, but Jesus is willing to pay it because he loves you. Because he loves you. Because he loves you. Let's just meditate on that and then I'll pray. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Dearest God, King of kings and Lord of lords, we thank you and we praise you that you would love us in our sin and our rebellion, in our failure and in our shame. And out of love, you would send your son, Jesus Christ, to take the cup of your justice and your wrath so that we don't have to. So that we may be forgiven and cleansed and be seated with you for all eternity. 
We praise you for Jesus Christ and for his sacrifice. We praise you for your love. And we ask, may this love of yours flow into our hearts. May it envision our minds. May it inspire us. Enable us to swim in your love. This day and next week and next year until your son comes again or we see you in glory. In the name of Jesus. Amen.